Okay, we're back. I have a few things to get to before the show starts today. This is my first interview, which is a follow-up to the conversation I had in the last episode, uh, the skydive versus the ladder. So this episode is an extension of that. I'm talking with my friend Claire, who recently left a full-time gig at a startup to uh, freelance on her own doing brand marketing and copywriting. And so we'll get to that episode in a bit. Unfortunately, at the end, uh, my Wi-Fi cut out. Um, so I do apologize that the episode cuts off a bit short there, but the conversation was really fascinating. And I think it's going to be really helpful in light of the last episode and the topics we discussed there. The second thing I want to mention is that you can now email me, david at the first four years.com. If you have any ideas around episodes that you'd like to hear about um, or questions you might have, or if you just uh, want to reach out and are stuck on something, please send me an email, david at the first four years.com. That's the number four last order of business. Thank you so much for being here and for subscribing and for the kind reviews. Um, it's meant a lot, and I'm just really excited to keep publishing. Episodes should be coming out roughly Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So without further ado, here is my follow-up interview uh, and episode with Claire uh, of the Skydive versus the Ladder. Thanks. Claire, hello. How's it going? David, uh, it's good. It's awesome to be here chatting with you via the internet. <laughs> yes. And this is our third time chatting. And Claire, just a few moments ago, was very kind in helping me resolve some audio issues. And uh, this is the first time we've actually FaceTimed. Is that correct? Yes. It's a moment in history. Yeah. There, there is a moment in history now. So, the reason I'm having you on the show is because of the topic that I talked about last week. And the topic I talked about last week is how to make transitions in your career. And I'm very impressed by two major transitions that I've semi-witnessed from the, uh, I say from the sidelines, I suppose. Um, the first was uh, us meeting when you were at Calendly, where you were the director of marketing. And... We spoke about a year ago on the phone and you were still there, but you were thinking about your transition out. And the second time we caught up, which was about a week ago, you had made that leap and not only made that leap, but you'd made it successfully. So what I want to discuss with you for the first four years community today is talking about how to do a career transition the right way. And I actually don't know too much about the backstory of how you got started with Calendly and how you ended up there. Um, so I'm definitely curious to dig into that a little bit. But the metaphor that I used in the previous episode is skydiving versus climbing a ladder. And the way I put it, skydiving is people who desperately want a new career direction but when they make that leap, they sort of have no idea how it's actually going to work. And it's like really scary. And this kind of freaks me out when I have friends who want to jump into something new, but they have zero plan. Like they want to go from being in med school to all of a sudden running a adventure blog. And I'm just like, you can do that, but you have to 
do it in a way that it's not just like this major leap, hoping there's going to be a parachute. And the metaphor of the ladder is that you've done some things to build up uh, some type of track record and direction that's going to allow you to make that transition in a successful way. So um, I thought it'd be best to start by talking about how you ended up being the director of marketing at Calendly. because, you know, as a startup, it seemed like that company grew really quickly. I love using Calendly. So were you always involved in startups? Like, how did you sort of um, get into that spot? Did you fall in? Did you work your way in? Yeah, I guess I'm curious about how you started there. Yeah. Um, so I am the definition of like falling backwards into a career. <laughs> cool. Um, which I guess is appropriate here. Uh, so if we start with like if, if we're looking at the theme of the first four years um, and the idea of moving from one career to the next, uh, this is actually like super relevant. So I didn't start out in startups or, or software marketing really at all. Um, I actually started out in entertainment marketing, which is a totally different ballgame. So I used to work for an agency and my job was to take records that, that labels were putting out and make sure that those records got played on college radio stations like across the country. That was my job. <laughs> um, and it sounded really cool uh, when I was first, you know, like brought on board. Um, but it's a, it's a tough job. Like it's, it's very sales-like. It's all about like maintaining relationships um, with hundreds of people at a time. It's a lot of pressure. And it's a lot of like it's a tough lifestyle to sustain. Um, because you're in the office during the day and then you're out at your client record labels, you're out at their shows at night, you're taking clients out to dinner. Like it was pretty much a 9am to like 2am job. (laughs) Wow. Um, so that was fun for a while, but I was like, I can't, you know, I looked at my boss, the guy who was running the agency and I was like, I don't really want his life. Like he's, you know, he's doing this and, and he loves it, but he's run ragged. And like, that's not really the the world that I want to build for myself. So I knew that I didn't want to do what you just said, which was, you know, leave that budding career and just skydive and be like, well, what do I do next? Um, so I'm very much a ladder climber and I was like, all right, what, what can I do that will give me a smooth transition from this to something else when I don't even know what industry I want to go into? Um, so instead of exploring a new industry, I actually, um, took kind of a, personal sabbatical and I taught English in China for a year. Um, That's amazing. It was, it was crazy. Um, and for anyone who's considering a career transition, but doesn't know their next move, like taking a year out of your like regular life is really, really helpful. (laughs) Puts lots of weird stuff in perspective. Um, that's, that's amazing. And so, so if you're unclear, uh, you, it's not like, natural all the time just to know exactly what you want to no, do next not at all. Som- sometimes you need that break and that renewed perspective and obviously going somewhere where people function in a very different way culturally is helpful to probably prodding out um, some of those thoughts or creative ideas um, yeah. and it, it actually kind of makes me think as well just this conversation about uh, innovation which is innovation is about seeing the adjacent possible and it's something that's within reach uh, now, but isn't really in the world yet. And I think for your career, when you're kind of climbing up that ladder, it's like, 
okay, I know I want to sort of innovate my career and I need to find that like next rung up the adjacent possible. Um, but yeah, maybe you don't know exactly what that is and you need a, you need a clear mind first or a refreshed uh, way of looking at the world. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, and a, another, another benefit of it was, and, and for someone who's like, I got to get out of my job, I can't keep doing this. The, the urge to just like walk out the door is so strong. Um, but walking out the door can, can cause harm in a couple of ways. You can one, not know what you, you want to do next. And so you have no plan. Um, you can escape to some new job that doesn't make you any happier just because you're so desperate to leave. Um, and, or you can burn a lot of bridges doing that. Right. I mean, cause you're letting down an employer, you're, you may be letting down a team depending on what kind of company you're with. And I was in a pretty small company, so that would have definitely been a bridge burner. Um, and so doing like taking this alternative was really helpful because it was so much about like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't on you guys. I'm not leaving because I hate you or I hate the company. I'm leaving because like, I know that for myself, I want to move in a different direction and I need time to figure that out. And so that allowed me to make this transition without, you know, without like destroying the relationships that I had built in those super early stages of my career. So, um, it was really helpful. How long have you been thinking about that transition before you uh, made it? And how long or like, was it really scary to tell the people you're working with that you were doing this? Did they think you were crazy? Like, talk to me about (laughs) how long that process is, what it looked like and sort of how it felt, I suppose, while you were doing it. Because when you're looking at a next step and it's unclear, that's the problem. (laughs) Like, it's unclear. So you're sort of making... Even if you are doing a lot to prepare, there's also a little bit of this leap of faith involved that you'll figure it out. So yeah, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about that. That'd be great. Yeah. And I'll try to get super tactical so that if you're listening, you know, if someone's listening to this and they want to go explore the same path, they actually can take some real steps toward it. Um, It was helpful that I knew I had always wanted to spend extended time abroad and I never was able to do that in college for financial reasons and other stuff. Um, and so this seemed like a really good time to do that and to have that time to like go live somewhere else and be put in a different world. Um, and so the first thing I did was use a website that I had just been aware of called, um, I think it's like ESL cafe or Dave's ESL cafe. Um, but essentially it's a big job board, uh, for, for, you know, positions abroad, um, teaching opportunities, um, other types of like work opportunities, et cetera. And, um, I just scrolled through ESL cafe and I was like, okay, I don't have a teaching degree. I don't have, you know, like a lot of these, a lot of these jobs in really, really like, um, in really interesting companies require more credentials than I can offer. I don't have the money to go like get that degree. So what can I actually do with the skills that I have? Um, so that really shaped my search and helped me figure out what countries were available to me. Um, and so, uh, I responded to a couple of the job postings on, on ESL cafe that were a good match. And I got hooked up with, um, essentially companies that are responsible for recruiting English speaking teachers into English as a second language schools. Um, and the um, working with recruiters was helpful because, you know, they've, they've, they help people make this transition all the time. And they're like, okay, if you want to be successful, you probably should save up and take this course. Um, or, you know, some of the, some of the schools were a little bit bigger and more established and they said, and they could say, well, we can recruit you as a teacher and then you'll go through our like five month training or something. So, yeah. Uh, so 
So yeah. real quick, there's yeah. kind of two things there. There's um, the first is that you um, you sort of took stock of your skills, and I think that's really that's an interesting process. And I'm a little bit curious about uh, how you took stock of your skills. And I think it's the great example. I'm gonna kind of jump to a conclusion here is everybody has skills whether they think they do or not. So no matter what experience level you're in, like you speaking English and being friendly and outgoing, like that gives you enough skill to go teach somewhere. And so um, I guess the first thing I sort of noticed just about your story is that we all need to do a little bit of inventory for what our skills are, but give yourself more credit uh, than you think because we all have skills, even if they're not something like coding or whatever, like you, even just the skill of English was helpful and you could apply that. Um, and the second thing I just want to note here, and I want to continue listening to the story, but it's that you looked for an expert to help with that transition. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, you found a job board, but you also looked at somebody with experience in placing people and in making that transition. So I just want to bring up those two kind of key points is taking inventory of what your skills are and giving yourself more credit than um, than you might uh, on your own. And then finding an expert in helping you get placed somewhere is also helpful. So uh, yeah, I just want to interject with those two points. And I'm glad you did um, because if we go through the, the how I got all the way to where I am now story, um, asking experts for help or for input has been huge in like every single every single like new step. Um, so I'm glad you called that one out specifically because, you know, I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time by working with recruiters who place people in schools. Um, but that's exactly what it was. You know, I was getting input from people who had seen this before and knew how to be, how I could be most successful at it. Um, sure. And, and so, uh, you, you worked with a recruiter, you made it over to China. Uh, I do want to hear a bit about, um, what that experience was and how that kind of changed your perspective. Um, but I'd like to also get to how we connect that to uh, getting to Calendly. So is there anything right. you want to talk about just related to your experience there and how that opened up and and maybe just even encouraging others how travel is potentially a great in-between step? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tie, I'll, I'll bridge the gap between being in China and being at Calendly um, by actually taking a step backwards. So when I was with the agency, the marketing agency I was with, um, I, I started a blog, um, side projects rule. <laughs> that wasn't the name of the blog. I'm just stating that side projects are awesome. Um, but the blog was called eat well, party hard. Uh, and it was all about how do you, how do you sustain yourself when you're living an unsustainable lifestyle? How do you eat in a way that takes care of you? How do you get enough rest when there's never enough time? Um, and I was, I named it that because it was very much a party industry. Um, entertainment industry. And most of my colleagues, you know, subsisted on like coffee in the morning and then a bagel at lunch and then a slice of pizza, like before meeting with clients, like that's how we lived. Um, so the blog was really fun and, um, you know, it was just something to build in my limited spare time, um, when I was with the agency, but when I left and moved to China, I kept it up and I just kind of shifted from talking about, uh, you know, talking about that old industry to talking about how do you eat well when you're on the road? How do you eat well when you're traveling? How do you eat well when you can't read the labels on anything in the grocery store? Um, and so I just kept kind of building this, this little blog and turned it into a couple of really fun things. So the first thing I did was turn it, um, was 
set up a newsletter tied to it. So people who subscribed heard from me once a month about my travels and about um, various food-related topics. Um, and then I, uh, I ended up writing... A, this was my first foray into selling something on the internet. I ended up writing an ebook about um, all those principles that I talked about on the blog uh, and just decided to see what I could get people to pay for it. So I launched this ebook that was like, Hey, these are the actual strategies that I use personally, like every week to take care of myself, even when I'm in weird, you know, city foreign cities or weird situations. Like this is exactly how I get through life while also eating well and, and, you know, making sure that I'm taken care of. Um, and I launched it just by saying like, Hey, pay what you want for the first like week or so that it's live. And then I think I sold it for like $10 or $15 or something after that. And it was this, the first time you make money online, it's such an amazing feeling, <laughs> um, totally. which I'm sure you are like, you are well, like very familiar with. Um, but you, you're like, Oh my God, I put something out into the world and people are buying it. Like people find enough value in that, that they want to put down their credit card information and send me $10. Um, so it's turned into a newsletter. It turned into a book. Um, and it turned into a couple of consulting gigs where people who were still in the U S reached out and said like, Hey, you're really good at this, like eating well thing. And I'm not like, my habits aren't great. And I, I need help. Like I need someone to help push me toward doing this better. Can you, can you work with me? Um, and so what do you need when you're working with clients? You need a way to schedule meetings easily, right? <laughs> Especially mm -hmm. if you're 12 time zones away from each other. So um, I was looking for a scheduling tool and I found Calendly when it was still in its beta phase. Um, and it was exactly what I needed. It was a, a tool that hooked up to my Google calendar, made it super easy for people in the US to schedule meetings with me without us sending eight emails back and forth. Um, and when I, you know, when I got the first, you know, automated email after signing up for Calendly, um, it was written to look, it was designed to look like a plain email straight from someone on the team. And it said, you know, welcome to Calendly. If you're having trouble getting set up or if you have questions, let me know. Um, and it was signed uh, from the founder. And I didn't realize at the time it was the founder. It was just a person's name. Um, but I responded to that email with a few questions about the product Um hoping, hoping that I would get an answer, but assuming I wouldn't, because, you know, it, for all I knew it, it would go to some like support inbox and just die. <laughs> um, but the founder actually got back to me like right away and answered my question about how to use the product better. And, and I was so surprised that this was being, you know, managed by someone who could answer me in like an hour. I was like, Whoa, um, this is really cool. Uh, it's both a really easy to use app and someone is like, there's real people behind it. Um, so through that initial conversation, um, the founder and I, we, we started, uh, it's so funny. We started, um, a, a real, like a long-term conversation back and forth. He wanted to know what I was using the product for, um, what was working, what wasn't working. You know, he needed to do some customer development and I was, you know, I was the perfect, I was a, I was a beta member. Right. So, Real quick, I want to con confirm. Can you hear me? Still? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm just I'm in I'm listening because it's an amazing story. Uh, and and I'll kind of interject here again. I think what's great about your story is 
it's the latter approach because you're using leverage from the previous thing to get into whatever is next. So, you know, when you're at this agency and you had a desire to leave, you took stock of your skills and, you know, you could teach English. So you applied that skill to get to the next thing. And then you kind of took stock again and, and said, what can I provide others, which was something you knew personally well through your own travel experiences, which is, you know, how do you eat well when you're traveling? How, what if you can't read the labels in the stores? How do you do this? And so once again, it was just like, well, what do I know that can help other people? And let me use that to um, continue forward. You took action uh, and started that blog about your own experience. And then I think, again, um, you know, what was super interesting with it is you were a customer of a product and that kind of curiosity uh, and just understanding, I guess, of your needs as a customer led you to start this conversation. So, um, yeah, I just love kind of the example of your background and story of this leverage of always looking at and taking stock of where am I now and how can I apply that to the next thing? Um, and, and probably every time without even knowing exactly how it paid off, but it, it just seems very natural. Um, even if it didn't at the time, I think when you look back, they're all kind of these natural moves into the next, um, area or the next kind of adventure in your life. Um, but they pull some of the previous experiences in and that's how you, uh, that's how I believe you found success getting there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right that it's not that I knew those things at the time, um, it wasn't as if I sat down and wrote and wrote a post note to myself saying like, okay, now take stock of your skills. It's, um, but that's exactly what it was. And, and, um, well, you, you followed your own curiosity and you also yeah. tried to answer some of your own questions and your own problems. And so, uh, with the blog, it was very much like you had a personal problem here. And, and that's the thing for everybody. We all have, uh, parts of our life that we have experience in, um, open questions that we, we we wish we could solve for ourselves. And sometimes you have to just solve it for yourself. And I think if you're unsure about what to do or you have a desire to put out a product or something, just look at your own experiences and the open questions you have. And as you pursue solving them, it typically solves that problem for other people as well. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. That's where the best products come from, right? Or the best services or whatever it may be. The best inventions come from someone having a problem, trying to figure out a way to solve it. Um, and as they try to figure it out, also confirming, like, do other people have this problem? Is this a struggle for others? Is this yeah. something, you know, is this something that I can solve for more than just my own needs? <laughs> Yeah. And, and you can become an expert in anything. I mean, I think your blog's a great example where you were an expert of how to eat healthy or, you know, how to eat in a certain way while traveling. And that's such a unique kind of niche uh, ability, but clearly there's a need there. Um, and you're able to even use that in some type of consulting. So, uh, moving forward, you, you had this conversation. It was very, right. it sounds like it was a very natural progression. I mean, it wasn't like they were, immediately hiring and you submitted a resume or anything like that. It was right. that you were this power user who sort of understood the problem because you'd been there and that started to form this natural relationship. So how did you go from, um, how long I guess did it take and how did you go from this casual, uh, touching base as a customer to ending up running a marketing at the company? Right. So it's a big leap. <laughs> um, but when, when, 
the two of us connected uh, when I sent that original email as a response to an automated email. Um, that was right after Calendly had had launched as a beta product. Um, it had launched in December of 2013. I didn't know that at the time. And this was probably January or February 2014. So only a few months later um, that I was that I was using it. Um, and after that conversation, um, the founder actually ended up subscribing to my newsletter because I had a link to it in my signature. So over the next couple months, as I would send out monthly updates to my list, he would he was getting this this first person view of how do I write when I'm on the internet? How do I tell stories? How do I take difficult concepts and break them down so that they're engaging and easy to understand for for readers? Um, and so he got to know you through your own newsletter, both, exactly. both as a user of his company, but also someone that he either looked to for advice or just generally got to know. Like, you know, there, there are relationships that form simply by kind of consuming media. So yeah, that's how I, that's how I found you, right? Like I'm on the death to stock newsletter mm-hmm. and then sure, yeah. at some point I reached out, um, so that's exactly how it, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. The relationship grew over time from that. And when I got back to the States after wrapping up my teaching gig, um, it was May and, uh, and he contacted me and he said, Hey, I know this sounds like a stretch. Um, but Calendly is currently like looking to hire its, you know, its first marketing person. And I would really love for you to apply for the job. So he didn't say, let me hire you right now. Or he didn't, you know, it didn't like, he didn't, what am yeah, I he didn't force it into existence. Exactly. Yeah. But, but he wanted, he wanted to see if I was interested and capable. Um, and if I had, you know, if I was a worthwhile candidate and I was like, wow. Um, uh, okay. Um, and again, at that time I had some marketing background. I had some, I had some minor experience doing stuff on the internet, the blog, the, the ebook, that stuff like that. Um, but I was not, you know, I was not an expert in software. I was not an expert in um, everything it takes at that time to really be ahead of marketing. Um, so there was a lot. Of, there was a big leap of faith that was shown in me um, by bringing me on, um, and there was also this huge opportunity for me to just dive in and like learn so 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 much um, as that first marketing person for this this really cool product. Um, and I can dive into the specifics of that, but I feel like yeah. it would probably take up way more of our, way yeah, more no, of our for like, sure. podcast. Well, I can kind of guide us there. So you, you get started at this company, you previously were teaching English, you had, you know, no understanding that you would all of a sudden become this marketing director and you're sort of thrown in and you definitely had your own experience that was real world experience, which probably made it less scary, but I still imagine, I think when we step into a role like quote unquote director of marketing, we all sort of assume that there's this huge breadth of knowledge that maybe we should have gotten in school or something like that, that would make you the director of marketing. When the reality is a lot of people learn through experience and they kind of learn by doing. And, and I'm assuming that the Calendly, the company expected that and they they knew that it was going to take a little bit of time getting up to speed um but they also were going to start looking to you as the expert so uh, i guess i do want to just stay on this topic for a minute on um did you feel like a fraud i suppose entering the space did they look at you as an expert immediately and what was your method for um, becoming good at it because you guys 
from my perspective, grew very quickly. And so I think you were very effective in that role. And I think that's one of the, the fun parts about this conversation is not only did you make that transition, but from my perspective, you thrived there. So when you started, was it, you know, was it scary? Did you learn from other people? Did you learn by reading or did you learn by experience? And how long did it take to be the person they could turn to for all expert marketing advice? Dude, I 200% felt like a fraud. (laughs) Um, It's so like, I think back to those early days and I just, I remember this feeling of like, I cannot do this. I cannot like, I, I have the hunger and I have the, like the curiosity that's required. Um, and I can figure out how to do stuff, but like, what are they doing? Why did they hire this person? Like I, you know, um, so there was so much, there was just crushing doubt. Um, so- I, I totally get, I totally <laughs> get the doubt. I think what's interesting is that you had curiosity and hunger and like, maybe you recognize that maybe you didn't, but it seems that those are sort of the key ingredients regardless of your skill level. Like if you're hiring somebody and they're in a role and they don't have curiosity and hunger, it's, it's not going to work. Totally. Absolutely. Um, and that's really the beauty of working for, so there's a lot of risks to working for a startup. Um, there's no, like, you know, there's no real, like, uh, management or mentorship that can, you know, help you, help you along with your, with your growth. Um, so that can be a huge challenge for people, especially if they're used to having someone kind of like guide them along. Um, there's no guarantee that the company will be around a year from now, um, or two years from now. So that's, you know, that's a pretty big risk. Um, you know, there's, it's a huge, it's a huge risk to, to take on a job at a startup. Um, but there is the, the, I would say that the, like shining light in that, in, in the world of startups is that if you are the type of person who's really, really hungry and, and is it, if you're kind of, if, honestly, if you're the kind of person who enjoys like having to prove themselves, like you can do that, you can just get in and do that at a company. And, um, it's not always as easy to do that at larger, more established places. So, um, as far as how I made that work, there were a couple of different ways that I sought out, you know, uh, more knowledge or more strategy. Um, one was, one was by, thankfully we were, we were in a building that was full of other startups, other tech startups as well. Other, um, software or SaaS companies is, is the most common term SaaS standing for software as a service. Um, and we were in, we were in a building with a bunch of other, with a bunch of other similar type businesses. And so I sought the expertise of other people who were leading marketing at their companies who had been doing this longer than I had. Um, and so, uh, one thing that I did was, was actually work with a fellow director of marketing to organize a monthly like marketing roundtable, um, where it, like once like, you know, 8am before everyone actually has to go to work at nine, we would meet in a common space. Um, and we would talk through like, what's the biggest challenge you're dealing with right now? And, and what resources do other people in this room have to help you with that? Um, I, I can't, that's amazing. Did, did you I, start oh that? Um, unintentionally, uh, it wasn't as if I had this grand plan of like, I'm going to lead a group, but here's what really happened. I emailed someone who, um, had a lot more experience than I had and who uh, like, who just, no, I, I'm, I'm rambling. I emailed someone who had a lot more experience than I had. And I was like, Hey, you've done this for longer than I have. Like, you know, the ropes, you, you know, like 
the path from A to, to like Z. Um, so can we sit down and can I just like, can I just like get a couple of strategy docs from you? Can I just get some of the resources that it's easy for you to pass off to someone? And she was like, totally. And so we met up briefly and she was like, you know what? Other people in the building could probably use this stuff too. Um, and, and so together we just kind of decided like, why don't we, why don't we meet on an ongoing basis? And we invite a couple of other marketers that we know would appreciate being here as well. Um, and so it was a pretty organic. That's awesome. Beginning. And <laughs> yeah. And people, I, I mean, I think people, uh, at least most people that I encounter in any type of space, especially related to startups, they're pretty willing to give knowledge freely totally. like that. Like people are pretty open. Um, yes. you know, obviously some people maybe see it as competitive, but, um, I guess what I'd ask with the group, um, is it sounds like recruiting became a bit easier because there was people in the building. Um, and you also sort of found one member who could, even if you were sort of leading the meetings, she could kind of provide the most bedrock kind of content, I suppose, for the, for the meetings. And maybe there's other people who wanted to learn from her as well. Did it end up being a bit more communal or was it a bit more like educational from that person that you had um, invited in? You know, we like was she learning too? I guess I guess I'm curious about her long term motivation in joining the group. Um, as you sort of, you know, for somebody at home who wants to use this strategy in creating a group to kind of learn about something new, what was the hook for the person with the experience, or did it become very communal uh, very quickly so that everybody was benefiting? So I wish that more of them had taken place because we had a couple, and then it just became one of those things where everyone gets busy. And so it gets canceled one month and, and after a few sessions it died. Um, but while it existed, it became much more communal. So the way it worked is there were no more, there were no more than, you know, maybe six or seven people tops, um, at any one meeting and everyone would show up and have like one specific challenge they were dealing with. And then the rest of the group would say like, okay, in, in our company, like I've dealt with that same challenge in this way or, Hey, we haven't dealt with that, but here's something I might try if I were in your shoes. Have you tried this? So it was less about this one experienced person leading meetings and more about everyone, everyone like getting vulnerable, honestly, yeah. and saying like, you know, I'm struggling with, with X. Yeah. People with experience. I think this is something that people are a little bit scared of. Sometimes they think I'd like to learn from this person. They have tons of experience, but I have nothing to uh, give in return in that type of group setting. But I think the people who are often willing to share their knowledge are also very hungry for knowledge themselves. Mm -hmm. And they can learn a ton from somebody who's a newbie because their perspective is different and they might be trying things that are sort of off the wall. Um, And so I think there's actually something to be said for not only are people more willing than you'd expect to uh, divulge the information about their learnings and their experience, I think those same type of people are also pretty hungry to hear about what other people are trying. So it sounds like there was a lot of benefit um, to all ranges of experience through that type of group setup simply for that reason. It was, yeah. And, and I would totally agree with you on that. I, I'm tempted to jump into a tangent. Um, I'll try to keep it super brief, but one way that one way that I was able to, I I didn't do this strategically. I just kind of, it's one of those things that like you just kind of know, or you have to learn. Um, but at no point, but it it works. So it's worth, yeah, it's worth talking about. Um, 
at no point was I like, hey, let's call her Amy. I just made up a name. Um, let's call mm-hmm. her Amy. But cool. at no point was I like, Amy, can I just pick your brain? Like, can I have half an hour to just ask you questions? Um, because she was busy. She's a busy person, right? Um, I, I, I knew, I just kind of inherently knew, like, she she may do that because she's nice, but I need to bring something of value to the table as well. Um, and so I don't remember what it is that I offered her the first time I asked to meet up. I don't know if I, I don't remember if I offered to like share my documents or if I offered to, maybe I offered to better explain like how she could use Calendly, like through their marketing strategy or something. Like I came to the table with, with some kind of offer of value. Um, and I bring this point up because I want to drive home how much further you can get when you're trying to learn from experts and also offering something to them. Um, and that can be difficult if you feel like you have nothing to offer, but as we've discussed, like at every stage, you have something, you have some skill or some thing that you can offer. Um, and I get, you know, I get emails or LinkedIn messages or whatever, um, from folks who are like, Hey, can I, can we go to coffee? I just want to pick your brain or like, Hey, can you, can you help me learn about how you did X, Y, Z? And it's so much easier to say yes to those things when the person says like, when the person has something useful to bring as well. Um, not because, not because like my time is more important than theirs. I don't think that at all, but because like I'm a busy person and they're a busy person and there's time and effort required in like going to a coffee shop and, and like losing half an hour to a conversation and going back and and getting settled back into work. And like, if there's a mutual exchange of like, if, there, if, if it's a win for both people instead of just one, then it's so much easier to get that yes from that person you're trying to learn from. I totally agree. And I think uh, actually in a previous episode, I talked a little bit about this as well. And I think the different take that I brought, which I completely agree that you want to bring value and that's sort of how you can um, create the exchange you want. And exactly like you said, we all have more skills uh, or value we can leverage than we think. Um, but I think another unique strategy of doing that is if you come to the table already having a lot of things going for you, it also makes it easier for that person to buy in. So uh, the example I use is, um, I think I call it like the four by four box, which is if I come to you asking for help with something, bring you want to bring a lot of things that you're already doing or already trying. So instead of saying, hey, I want a job in marketing, can you help me find one? You can say, hey, I started a podcast that, to interview marketers because right. eventually I want a job in marketing. I've already sent out six emails. Here's the, here's the copy I've been using. Right. Um, I've been watching these videos. Like The more you can show that you are actually doing this for real and following through, then what you can do is say, you know, there's just this like one little piece that I'm not getting yes. in this big puzzle of how I get somewhere. Can you just help me with that one piece? And I think that takes the burden off of the person who is providing you value because they see that it's finite. They see that you're serious. So this is something that's actually um, going to resonate and and, like improve that person's uh, experience or whatever they're trying to get to. Um, So yeah, I would, I would just add to that. um, And you can go back and listen, I believe it's episode three, which is if you're looking for mentorship or help like that, also, not only do you want to exchange value, but you can also come to the table with a bunch of things that you're already doing to show that you're serious and engaged. Yes. And I'm going to come back to that toward like 
the me leaving Calendly part because I didn't feel that I had a lot of value to offer some other experts. And that's how I had to reach out instead. So that'll tie in really nicely. Um, I want to, I want to check really quickly. Um, yeah, we're good I, on time. What I was going to say, what's your timeline? Do you have like, a, yeah. do you have a no, we're, we're good. We're good. No, we're good on time. Let's, let's keep it moving. Cause I, yeah, I, I definitely want to, um, share the, the story of the next transition and we can kind of wrap it there. So, cool. um, moving ahead, you know, you've, you've stepped into this role. Maybe you still sort of feel like a fraud, but Calendly is growing and, uh, you've clearly added a lot of value there. That's actually when we um, probably spoke sometime last year. Um, And at this point, I'm just going to guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you started to feel something in the back of your mind again. Um, And so I kind of want to start there, which is like this thing in the back of your head that's like, I should do something else. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we don't have to get into as much on the transition, but I think the best place to start... um, in your next transition, was which is actually jumping out on your own full time as a freelancer or a consultant. Um, let's let's start with kind of the the itch, I guess we'll call it, and then um, yeah, talk us through that that next transition and how you leveraged once again um, to find success in the next thing, pulling from experiences from the, the previous. So um, there's a so at the time that I was starting to like feel that itch again. Um, some things were happening. One, um, Calendly was growing really well. It was doing exactly what it was supposed to do as a startup. Um, so we had, you know, so many more users and customers at that point than we had when I'd started. Um, the team had grown from the founder and myself and, um, the developers who had built the product up to like 30 or so people. Um, when you and I talked last year and, I was, I was looking at the future and what, what it held if I were to stay at Calendly. Um, and ultimately it held a management position. Um, so director, the, the title of director kind of implies that it's a management position, but it, but really what it, what I was looking at was becoming a manager of other people, um, and letting them own like different aspects of our marketing strategy and, and staying strategic, staying only high level. And, um, there were a couple of ways that that just wasn't, I knew it. I just, I didn't want to admit it to myself, but I just knew it wasn't going to fit with the life that I wanted to create. Um, so once, so once again, you looked ahead sort of like in your first job, yeah. seeing the boss and saying, do I want to go there? Yeah. I don't think so. And it, it's not that his position is right or wrong. It's just not right for you. And so yeah. the second time, um, you actually didn't have somebody to look at, but you could kind of imagine what that would look like. Right. And uh, I think we'll have to have you back another time in the future because I think there's this whole listening to yourself and sort of intuition that's also underlying a lot of these decisions. So we'll skip that for now. But um, yeah, I just want to point out that you you had to sort of imagine what life would be like and then know yourself well enough to say, even though this is going great and uh this would continue to progress. I sort of don't want to be enrolled in where this ship is sailing. Yeah. You like, you really nailed it. Um, and you mentioned this, this concept of listening to yourself and for disclosure. So for disclosure, I didn't listen to that intuition for a long time or, or I, I heard it, but I was trying to ignore it. And that led to some, it, it, how long, if you don't mind me asking, would you say that it took from the, the inkling of an idea to the full transition? So I saw, 
I saw the direction that I, that I would need to move in if I stayed with the company, um, probably like around this time last year, it was, it was like summer of last year. Um, and I ignored it for months, <laughs> um, several months and it wasn't like, shut, shut up, go away. It's, I don't want to think about that. Yet. Like, I don't want to think about it. And that reared its head in some really ugly ways. Um, if it, if yep. at any point you want to talk about like going through dark times in your career, if that's a future episode, then let's come back to it. Cause that can, yeah, get we can, we can both go there. I'm sure. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Um, but, but I was, as I, the more I tried to shut out the voice, the, the, the unhappier I was. Um, mm-hmm. and so toward the fall, um, I was like, okay, I have to get serious about making a change. Like I cannot keep pretending that I want this career path just because it's, the, the safest thing to do or do, or just because it's the, the best sounding thing to do. Um, I got to get serious about like what I care about. Um, and so I knew that the, the other options were to, to leave Calendly and go be someone else's director of marketing, which wouldn't have been a good fit because then I would just be a manager somewhere else. Um, or build a life that I really, that I, that really fits with my values and start my own company, (laughs) which was just the scariest idea. Um, and so in terms of like preparing for that step, this is where we get to the the real like ladder part. Um, I knew that I would need a couple things. I would need some kind of like, I would need to talk to people who had done this before. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't like write that down as a to-do, um, but actually what I did, you and I are, you and I both know Paul Jarvis um, and Paul has um, something that he calls, he has a course called creative class and it, it teaches, it's, it's a course that teaches freelancers like how to set up and run their, how to get their freelance business running. Um, and last fall I was like, I know Paul, I trust Paul. He runs the type of business I really admire. I'm going to buy his course and use that as my like roadmap to go from, director of marketing over to consultant freelancer. Um, so and, this is sort of the, the quote unquote recruiter. Right. Um, this is recruiter. This is, this is yep. asking the, the, the more experienced marketer for help. This is the like seeking advice stage again, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that happens over and over. And within his course, something really, there was a really, uh, there was a really, for me, like important lesson. And that lesson was, um, before you take the leap, uh, as you're figuring out what you need, what you want to offer, what, what kind of value you want to provide customers, as you're figuring out how to pitch yourself, go have conversations with like five to 10 people who are already doing what you want to do and ask what's working for them and ask what's not working and what they've learned. So Paul was basically telling me to go do more of that stuff. (laughs) Um, and that was the point that I referenced earlier at which I wanted to talk to some experts who, you know, I wanted to talk to successful consultants, but I had nothing to offer. Like, what could I give them? Um, and so what I leaned on was the technique you, you re- mentioned a second ago, the idea of saying like, I'm this invested, I've done all this work. Here's my background. Here's what I've, here are the steps I've taken. Could you spend 10 minutes on the phone answering like these two key questions? You know, I tried to make it as, I tried to make the yes for them as easy as possible. Um, and that went well. And it, and it formed a couple of really, really kick-ass relationships that I now have like, that are now a, a big part of my career to this day. Um, so the, the method you referred to that idea of like proving that you're already invested was super, super successful. 
Um, and I would recommend that time and again, if you're ever feeling like I don't have anything to offer this person, I have no value that I can bring to the table. Um, it really like, it was, I don't know, magical is an overused word, but it was. <laughs> How did you No, totally. And I also like the point about removing friction. Um, so you can look at any interaction like that as what, are, what are all the friction points, uh, for this meeting to happen? And you actually referenced this earlier, which is like, if I'm going to get coffee with somebody, I have to get in my car. I have to show up to the shop. I have to spend $5. Like every one of those points is friction. friction. And so removing that makes it easier for the yes. Um, So I have a quick question for you. How did you identify the right people? Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. To, to help you along your way. I can't remember all of my, I can't remember every single strategy, but, um, I think this is the case for any, any of, any of those of us who are just naturally curious people. We like to, we like to read, we like to see what other people are doing. We like to follow along with other people's adventures <laughs> as goofy as that sounds. Um, so there's a lot of Paul Jarvis's, so to speak, that I follow on the internet. You know, um, they don't all, they weren't all, they weren't all, they aren't all web designers like he is. Um, but it's people who are expert copywriters, uh, and for a while, by the way, I thought I was going to be a copywriter. I thought that's the world I wanted to go into specifically. Um. All right. Unfortunately, this is right where the the audio has cut out. Have no fear. I'm actually moving into a WeWork next week in Santa Monica. So I'll have a co-working space. Great Wi-Fi. Shouldn't happen again. Thanks so much for listening. Claire has offered everybody who listens to this show a big discount for her ebook called Websites That Convert. It's only a dollar if you use the code the first four years, which is all one word and all uppercase and the number four. Um, you'll be able to see that in the notes of the podcast. Feel free to email me. Thanks so much for subscribing, and I'll be back again soon. Thanks. Thanks.